How beautiful was that? Amen? Wow. Tom said that's a, a shaker from the shaker movement. Uh, simple gifts. Beautiful song. Last week, Pastor Damon completed our series on the Ten Commandments. And I was wondering how many of you were listening. So, I've got a challenge today. I have a $10 bill. It's somewhat crisp. And if someone could come up here and tell me the second commandment and the eighth commandment, I will give you this $10 bill. No strings attached. The second commandment and the eighth commandment, don't Google it. <laughs> or Siri or whatever you got. I'd love to give this to you. Second commandment, eighth commandment, anybody? Going? Does that mean you weren't listening or you just don't want to come up here? You want to even come up for $10? See what happened. All the young people left. They would have known that. Okay, anybody know what the second commandment is? I heard over here, don't make idols. That's right. The eighth commandment? Shall not. Yeah, they all start with shall not. <laughs> Most of them do, at least. Yeah. <laughs> shall not steal. So don't try to steal this $10. I thought for sure I'd have an empty pocket this morning. Okay, okay. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your simple gifts in our lives. Lord, just the fact that we have so many blessings. And sometimes we're always looking for that big thing to give you thanks for. But Lord, I thank you for that English muffin I had this morning. I thank you, Lord, for a hot shower. I thank you, Lord, for vehicles that run. And Lord, we could go on and on thanking you for the simple gifts that you've given to us. You're a good and loving God. And we love you today, Lord, with all of our hearts. Help us to love you more in the days and months and weeks to come. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Did you ever start a project around your house and it took longer and it became way more complicated than you ever expected? I hear some, some laughter. You know, I have a feeling that some of you could tell us some interesting and, and probably funny stories about now if we would let you. See, you see, most of us have found that sometimes things end up being harder than they need to be. Did you ever feel that way about being a Christian? You see, at the core, it shouldn't be all that complicated. Number one, you believe in God. Number two, you trust Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then number three, you live your life the way God wants you to live it. Simple, right? But it never feels that way. It turns out to be way more complicated and difficult than we think it should. And today we're going to look at a scripture passage that Bible scholars say contains the 11th commandment. And here 
Jesus tells his disciples exactly what he wants from them. And it turns out to be not all that complicated. In fact, it's quite simple. L-O-V-E. Turn to someone and let's, let's uh, say that together. L-O-V-E. But it doesn't stay simple. After Jesus gives his command, we read a conversation in which three of his disciples respond to what Jesus has just said. And not one of them really gets it. Each of them makes it more complicated than it needs to be. What's amazing is that these disciples miss the point in the same ways that you and I often miss the point. Their reaction to Jesus helps us recognize those ways we do the same and how we make following Christ more complicated than it should be. What we know is the Last Supper is over, the Passover meal. And Judas, one of the disciples, has left on his way to sell out Jesus to the religious leaders. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Oh, I forgot. A new command I give you. Read it with me. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus has just watched one of his disciples walk out of that upper room on his way to betray him. And Jesus has this kind of funny response, odd response. He says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And this is the upside-down way that God works. The greatest glory of Jesus Christ begins to be set in motion when someone who has lived and worked with him 24-7 for three years betrays him. Judas had witnessed miracles of healing, miracles over nature, and even the raising of the dead, but he turned his back on all of that and betrayed Jesus. You see, only in God's kingdom could betrayal lead to glory. And Jesus essentially says three simple things to the remaining 11 disciples. He says, I'm leaving. He says, love each other while I'm gone. And he says, your love will tell others about me. Is that complicated? It's not complicated. It's simple. 
It's a statement, a command, and a statement. Statement number one, I'm leaving. Command, love each other while I'm gone. Statement number two, your love will tell others about me, and in the process, it will mark you as my disciples. And the command to me is a simple one. Love one another just as I have loved you. But somehow, Peter, Thomas, and Philip managed to make it complicated. And let's see how they respond and hope that we can learn from their mistakes. As is often the case, Peter is the first one to respond to Jesus. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me how many times? Three times. Peter starts out by asking Jesus, where are you going? And it may sound like an innocent question, but it really isn't. Peter's being annoying here. If you tell a friend, I need to go do something and, and then I'll be back. It kind of is annoying if that friend says, well, what are you going to do? Where are you going? And that's what Peter's doing. He wants more information than Jesus is willing to give at this time. So Jesus answers Peter the way you might answer your friend. You don't need to know where I'm going right now. You just can't come, so, so don't worry about it, okay? Now Jesus is kind enough to add that Peter will eventually get to go, but not right now. But Peter still isn't satisfied. He claims to want to go with Jesus wherever Jesus goes. He says that he'll follow him anywhere, any place. And he'll even lay down his life for Jesus. Now that tips the scales. Until now, Jesus has been patient with Peter, but now Jesus challenges him. And he questions whether Peter will, in fact, really lay down his life for him. Then Jesus makes this chilling prediction. Not only will Peter fail to lay down his life, he will deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows, announcing the morning sunlight in a few short hours. Wow. What must be going through Peter's mind when he heard this? You know, you're all fired up. You're going to be the best disciple you can be. And you're going to follow Jesus to the end of the earth. And then he tells you that you aren't even going to last through the night. I don't know about you, but that would probably take the wind out of my sails. 
pretty quickly like it did Peter. Peter wants to go all the way, but he wants to go all the way in the direction that he wants to go. Peter says, I'll do anything you ask me as long as it's going with you. And that's why I asked Jesus, where are you going? He's selective about how he's willing to follow Jesus. The same thing can happen to you and me in the way we follow Jesus, in the way that we live our lives as Christians. The instruction is surprisingly simple. But we find ways to do the things that are easy for us. And we're going to avoid the other things that are not so easy. Some of us will gladly write out a check. Or you'll make uh, the online donation, money to the church. But you won't even consider teaching the children in the church, in the zone, or in the nursery. Some of us will sign up to build a Habitat for Humanity house and our muscles will ache and we'll be tired. But sharing with other people about God isn't a remote possibility for you. Some of us will lead a Bible study and we'll talk about the things of God and Jesus, but there's no way we're going to forgive the person who wronged us ten years ago. You see, one of the big challenges for you and me is to be willing to do whatever, whatever God asks us to do. Don't be selective like Peter. And Jesus ends up calling Peter's bluff. He tells him that he isn't as willing as he thinks he is. Peter believed he would take the sharp edge of a sword for Jesus but in reality, he couldn't take the sharp comment of a little servant girl on the high priest household staff. Peter thought he had what it would take to die alongside Jesus in a fight to the finish. But in reality, he couldn't stand up for and live alongside Jesus in his moment of humiliation and suffering. Peter will go all the way, but only in one direction. And what about us this morning? Is God asking you to do something, and you're ignoring him because you'd much rather do something else? Are you being selective in the areas that you're willing to follow God? Are you willing to do whatever Jesus asks are only the things you're comfortable with. Jesus gave a simple command. Peter made it complicated by being selective about what he would and wouldn't do for Jesus. After Jesus has this conversation with Peter, he addresses some of Peter's concerns. He notices that Peter, along with the other disciples, they're discouraged that Jesus was leaving, and rightly so. So he tries to encourage his disciples. He 
He emphasizes the fact that, yes, he's leaving, but that someday all those who believe in him would follow and be with him forever. Jesus says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Peter's quiet now. But Thomas responds to what Jesus has just said. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then we have one of the most well-known passages in the New Testament. I want you to read it with me. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. He tells them that he has to go away. But that his going away has a purpose. He's leaving for now so that later they can be together for all of eternity. The average home in this time period was a very small home. Smaller than most of your garages. Didn't have many rooms. Maybe if you had a little bit more money than your neighbors, you, you had, besides your one room on the ground floor, you had a room above that where your family may have slept. The disciples... Give me another screen, please. That's good. A house with many rooms like Jesus is talking about. The disciples couldn't decipher that, couldn't, couldn't get their minds around that. They couldn't imagine a house so large that have all these rooms that all of them could live in it with Jesus and their extended families. But Jesus made a promise. He said he's going to leave so that he can get that place ready and take not only the disciples, but all of his followers there someday. This is where Thomas gets tripped up because of his rigid and his inflexible expectations. Thomas wants specifics. He wants a road map. And if you remember, this attitude shows up later after Jesus has been resurrected. And Thomas insists on personally seeing Jesus to know that he's alive. Thomas wants everything spelled out in advance. And he wants to know how things are going to turn out. You see, he wants all the details up front. Lay it all on the table, Jesus. Thomas is being inflexible about knowing how everything is going to end up. So he asks Jesus, how can we know the way? And Jesus tells him, I am the way. Jesus is saying something very powerful about who he is, not only to Thomas, but to you and me.
He's the leader. And all we need to do is follow Him wherever He goes. It's that simple. Remember the childhood game? Follow the leader. But Thomas doesn't want a leader. He wants a map. He wants everything spelled out in advance. He's not content with simply following directions. He wants to know what it's going to take to get where he is headed. Thomas wants to feel confident about how everything's going to turn out in the end. But Jesus says, I'm not giving you a map, but I am offering to lead you. I won't give you a map, Thomas, because I am the way to your eternal destination. You know, even when you follow Jesus in this life, you never know what's around the next bend in life. Can you say amen to that? Jesus never promised that there wouldn't be uncertainties and unpredictable circumstances along the way. Our calling is simply to follow wherever he leads. I read an interesting statement the other day, and the person said this, God hasn't called us to outcome and results. He's called us to faithfulness. Let that sink just absorb it just for just a few seconds. If you're like Thomas, that's a troubling thought because you want to know all the details. You want to know where you're going to be in, in 10 years, in 20 years. And for some of us, for that matter, we want to know next month. But Jesus doesn't always give that information. But he does promise to lead us. But he doesn't give us a map. He calls us to faithfulness. The Apostle Paul wrote this, Our life is lived by faith. We do not live by what we see in front of us. Are you rigid and inflexible in your thinking like Thomas? Or are you willing to live by faith and follow Jesus wherever he leads you from this day forward? We've seen Peter being selective about following Jesus. We've seen Thomas being rigid about the details of what it will look like to follow Jesus. And there's one more individual that shows up in this passage of Scripture. His name is Philip. When Jesus called Philip to join his band of apostles, Jesus simply said to Philip, follow me. And Philip did. Philip is a to-the-point, practical kind of guy. And Jesus says this, No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In order to be convinced, Philip wants more than he's hearing from Jesus. 
He wants something concrete. He wants something practical. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Philip wants some proof, so he says, Lord, show us the Father, and that would be enough for us. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Philip. In my life, I've had some times of doubt. And during those times, I've wished that there was something God would do or some sign that he would give me that would make it be enough for me. Now, I may be the only one here today that would admit to this. But I wonder, did you ever feel that way too? Being a Christian is simple, except that we live in a world where we're told that we're not very smart to believe in God and the Bible. We're told that Christianity is a crutch for weak people. We live in a time where science has supposedly disproved the existence of God and the stories of the Bible. And we're told that our faith is just wishful thinking on our part. Philip says, show us the Father, and that's going to be enough. We'll be convinced then. Couldn't there be just one more sign that makes it clear that you're really there, God? And no, it's not the Cubs winning the World Series. Do you like that, Ron? <laughs> as far as I know, he's the only Cub fan in the house. But God, why do you have to be so hidden? And Philip asked to see the Father because Philip's still unconvinced. And I think this is the way Jesus responded the way he did to him. Philip is waiting for someone who's already there. He's looking for something that has already happened. Philip's asking for something that he's already been given. And some of us are like that at times. It's just the one more attitude. Maybe we don't feel as loved by our spouse as we think. But if they were due one more act of kindness, one more thing to show their love for us, it would be okay, and that would be enough. Maybe you're a high school or college student, and you're not so sure about your academic ability, and we think, well, if I get just one more A, then it would be okay, that would be enough. 
just one more raise, and it'd be okay, and that would be enough money for us. Just one more automobile, just one more good time, just one more, and you fill in the blank, and it would be okay. And as Philip said, it would be enough for us, God. For me, it's usually just one more bite of chocolate. I love that chocolate. Learning to love dark chocolate, too. Aren't you proud of me? It's healthy, they say. Jesus challenges Philip and reminds him of everything that he's already seen. Here's Philip, one of the twelve, who's been with Jesus for three years. And yet, he still asks, Show us the Father, and then that will be enough. Philip has seen the sick healed. He's seen the hungry fed. He's seen the dead raised. And this is how Jesus answers him. How can you ask me for this after everything that you've seen? Philip, aren't you convinced by the miracles you've already witnessed? How can you really ask for more? But what about us? Living here in the year 2016, are we unconvinced like Philip? Do we have the audacity to ask God for one more sign to prove His reality and power? I say, isn't raising Jesus from the dead enough for any of us in here? Didn't that tell us all we need to know about God? Jesus tells Philip to believe based on either his words or on the miracles he's seen. And the same options are open to you and me. Believe based on the Bible and the revelation of God between Genesis and Revelation. Or believe because of what you've seen God do in your life and the lives of other people. It doesn't matter what it takes for you and me to believe. But know this, know this, my friends. We have been given enough to believe if we want to believe. We don't need just one more. We've been given enough. We've been given His words in the Bible and the signs of His miraculous works. No matter what the world says, God has not hidden Himself from those who seek Him. He has revealed Himself in the Bible through words that speak of Him. He has acted in history, and we have stories that testify to His miracles. We don't need any more for it to be enough for us. Are we still unconvinced like Philip? Or will we believe this morning based on what God has already shown us through His Word and through His miraculous works? We started out just a few moments ago thinking about how simple things can often become so much harder than they need to be. In our scripture passage this morning, we've heard Jesus give his disciples a simple command. What some people refer to as the 11th commandment. 
He's leaving. And they're supposed to love each other while he's gone. But as the conversation unfolded, we've seen how three of the disciples responded. Peter is selective. He wants to be a radical follower of Jesus, but only in the ways that Peter's comfortable with. Thomas is rigid. He's inflexible. He wants a road map that shows him how everything's going to turn out for his life. He doesn't want to have to follow Jesus without knowing ahead of time where Jesus might lead. And then Philip. Philip's unconvinced. After all that Philip's seen, he's still asking Jesus for one more sign. You know, I believe we can learn from their mistakes. I do. We can keep it simple. We can do what Jesus wants us to do and not be selective about our obedience to Him. We can follow Jesus day by day without knowing what's ahead. And we can remember that what we've already seen of God in the past in order to bolster our faith for today and in the future. We don't have to make it complicated. We don't have to. We can keep it simple. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to come forward if you need a prayer request. You have a prayer request. There will be prayer teams on either side. The band's going to play one of my favorite songs. This is Amazing Grace by Phil Wickham. We're inviting you to stand right now. The song has a line in it. It says, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. And if we can't sing, whether it's with our mouths open wide or sing with our hearts full of praise, for all that Jesus has done for us on this Thanksgiving weekend, well, maybe we need a, a readjustment today. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the lesson of Peter and Thomas and Philip. Lord, they're just human beings like we are. They got it wrong at times, Lord. They, they messed up. And Lord, we get it wrong sometimes, and we mess up. But thank you that you're a good teacher, and that you love us so much to give us opportunity upon opportunity to follow you and get it right. Lord, help us today to not be selective in our obedience. Help us, Lord, to follow you and not have to have it all spelled out. And Lord, help us to know that you've already given us enough to believe today if we choose to believe. Now, we love you, Lord God, and as we go from this place, we ask your blessings upon our families, our homes, our work, and as we go into the Advent season, let our hearts and minds be focused upon the true reason for this season, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.